Time again for yet another episode of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. Yay! I want to preface if my voice sounds a little husky, a little hoarse, it's because it is. I wouldn't say completely lost my voice over this past weekend, but boy was it rough. I had a couple back-to-back gigs, one of them being a block party that I played that I performed for quite some time, and man, by the end of the night, I was struggling to hit some of the notes in some of the songs that I usually play later in the night. Maybe I should have picked easier songs. But because I was playing so long, I was not able to be as selective as maybe I would have liked to be, given the fact that my voice was not in tip-top shape to begin the performance. Additionally, this is another week at the school that I work at where we have a camp, and then following camp from 9 to 3, I have my standard lessons and rehearsals from 3 to 8. So we've got 11-hour days, and it's just a lot of having to yell over loud rehearsal spaces. So essentially, there hasn't been a whole lot going on since almost losing my voice over the weekend that's been conducive to regaining it. It is better than it was on probably Monday, and today at the time of recording this, this is Wednesday. Honestly, I would prefer to wait a day or two longer before recording this podcast. However, I have an insanely busy remainder of the week and an insanely busy weekend. So fact is, is I don't really have a ton of time to try and do a super rushed job on editing and still have this ready by Sunday, so I really felt like I had no choice but to at least get this recorded tonight, start a little bit of editing when I'm done, and then just, you know, peck my way through it when I have time between now and Sunday evening. Before I continue, I will say that there were several things, like in my iPhone, if I kind of swipe left of the main screen, I see like little news headlines or whatever, or when I go open my Google app, I'll see the same thing. Today, I've seen multiple headlines or articles that have just really pissed me off. Let's First off, let's start with fucking clickbait. So sick of clickbait. Like, I remember, I don't know, maybe like a month, month and a half ago, there was an article on Facebook, and the headline just said, local restaurant closing to make way for Burger King and Chick-fil-A or something like that. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what local restaurant is closing down that's just going to turn into some fast food joint. Well, the local restaurant they were discussing was a Wendy's. That's not a local restaurant, you pieces of shit. Clickbait. An article that I actually saw today that really pissed me off. Now, not at first. I mean, it annoyed me at first, and then when I read it, it infuriated me. The headline that I saw said, Back to the Future reboot coming in 2023. I'm like, oh my god, no, they're not going to try and do a reboot of Back to the Future. And I want to go ahead and call out the website InsideTheMagic.net and the author of this article, Daniel Roberts, you are pieces of human filth, piles of shit, total fuckbags. I hate you, and I wish much ill upon you. So I'm just reading. It's not a super long article. And in the second paragraph of the article, it basically says that, you know, their fans for decades have wondered if a Back to the Future reboot will ever happen. And it says, luckily, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, the writers and producer slash director of Back to the Future, have long since squashed any rumors. And after seeing what happened with the Ghostbusters reboot in 2016, this is music to our ears. 
So they're basically saying, this is where I was like confused, like, wait, you just said in the headline, a reboot is coming. By paragraph two, you just said, no, a reboot is not coming, and we're so happy about that. Then I have to go past all of these images and little ad squares, of course. They just, you know, got a little bit of money from me from scrolling past that shit, only to find out that they're talking about a reboot of Back to the Future, the musical. It's not a reboot of fucking Back to the Future. That is a musical adaptation going to Broadway theaters, not movie theaters. So once again, Daniel Roberts with InsideTheMagic.net, go fuck yourself. And without exactly tracking down a specific article, one of the headlines I saw today that also annoyed me was another headline. Here we go again. New mutant COVID variants. And now all of a sudden, it's in the United States. We better look out. This is going to be a new strain that's going to be super bad. Everyone, please, everyone, everyone, shut the fuck up about COVID. I'm done hearing about COVID. COVID is a past issue. Unless you have a very close friend or family member that has died of COVID in just the last month or two, shut the fuck up about COVID. But again, it's clickbait. I didn't click it. Didn't want to read the article. Fuck them. I'm not giving any money to this people that are going to continue to propagate fear and threats of COVID resurgences when we know from Delta and Omicron when those were supposed to be, oh no, this is terrible. We know how they made those out to be and they were shit, nothing, not a concern at all. Any news organization right now pushing headlines about a new COVID strain, go fuck yourself. All right, so enough of that ranting and bitching. I want to give a shout out really quick to some friends of mine, Brandon and Rachel Garling. So Sunday, after pretty much losing my voice Saturday night at the show, I continued to further damage my voice by going to a birthday party at the Garling house for Rachel's birthday and was there for about eight hours. I will say that they had a Chipotle catering that Rachel's parents brought over. And I'm going to be honest, Chipotle tends to, oh, I don't know, elicit certain bowel responses from me, usually in a short period of time. Now, however, because this was catering, I could be a little bit more picky and choosy and smart and not put things in my bowl that I knew might trigger a bowel response since I was in someone else's home. However, because I was there for so long, I ended up having a double dose of Chipotle because I basically had two meals there and they had so much of it. It's like, well, I guess I'll have a second ball. And the following morning, Monday morning, let me tell you, Montezuma's revenge, or in this case, Chipotle revenge. I actually woke up around 6 a.m. on Monday morning, which sucked because I had to be at the school at 9 a.m. and I had a heartburn so bad that I could not fall back asleep and I had only been asleep for about four hours. And then I had to proceed to the school for an 11-hour day. However, you know, it was a really fun time. I haven't had a chance to see Brandon and Rachel in quite a while. I actually, my old band, we were the band for their wedding years and years ago and ended up just creating a friendship with them, you know, during the course of the wedding planning and meetings and just ended up creating a long lasting friendship afterwards. Also want to give another shout out to Chris and Amanda, their cousins from Hawaii. I'm pretty sure they were at the wedding, but I don't recall meeting them. And again, that was a long time ago and I was very busy working the wedding. One thing that I did call Brandon out for at one point in the night, we're all just sitting around a fire and Rachel and Brandon's two little girls and then the two little boys 
of Amanda and Chris were all playing, I don't know, maybe 20 yards away on this big swing set that Brandon and Rachel have on their property. And Brandon looks over at Chris and Amanda and says, you know, someday Dash is going to be a real lady killer. Dash being their oldest son. And I instantly was like, isn't it weird that it seems perfectly fine, if not complimentary, to tell someone someday your kid's going to be a real lady killer? When if you really just translate that down to what it means, Brandon basically just told these parents of this prepubescent boy, someday your son is going to fuck a lot of girls. That's basically what that means, but it seems perfectly fine when you use a term like lady killer, heartbreaker. Anyway, I just thought that was odd how, you know, just a slight change of vernacular, despite knowing what it means, is somehow just societally acceptable and almost embraced like it's a compliment. Also, I will say later in the night after it got dark, I was uh, very quickly reminded of my 4th of July episode that I recently did. Where I talked about fireworks injuries because Chris, the cousin from Hawaii, he had three fireworks sticks or whatever you would call it that, you know, would shoot up and have a nice burst. That's all he had left over. And he went not that far away from where we were all sitting and he didn't have anything to prop these things up. He just kind of stood them up as best he could on the grass and they were kind of long and narrow. So I don't know how they stood up. And I was just thinking if one of these things starts to tip over after he lights it and falls our way... Well, we're going to be a statistic next year. So while I'm still on the topic of the party at the Garling House, that brings us to our topic of pyromania. So upon arriving at their house, Brandon informed me that he had some old couches that were in the garage and that he was going to be cutting them in half with a chainsaw and then throwing them on the bonfire he was planning later in the evening. Now, his logic for cutting them in half was basically that carrying them to the bonfire, which was, I don't know, maybe at least 60 yards. And, you know, he basically said, you know, it's going to be a lot easier if they're in two pieces. Now, I, I think pretty much Brandon wanted an excuse to get his chainsaw out and cut some shit in half. And again, in theory, you know, his explanation about them being lighter in two pieces made sense, but given how heavy these couches were, I'm going to say that even half a couch was pretty heavy, and now it was maybe perhaps more dangerous to try to carry because it had all this exposed lumber and springs and shit like that hanging out from being chopped in half with a chainsaw. So it was probably around 6 o'clock, I'd been there for a few hours, that the plan officially started to come to fruition as Brandon realized, I better do this before I'm too many beers in. At this point, he's already talking about, well, I might need the Sawzall as well, and I'm thinking, maybe, you know, adding more saws to this plan is not the right idea. But of course, when the time came, you know, I went around to where the garage was, I helped them get the couches from the garage into the front yard, where they would be executed and halved. Dewey, I'm cutting half pretty bad. One thing that completely freaked me out, and I voiced this, was that Brandon, as he's priming the chainsaw, was standing there in a t-shirt, shorts, 
and flip-flops. I'm like, maybe you should go put on some actual shoes. Not sure that trying to cut through a couch laying on the ground where the chainsaw is going to be inches from your feet at the bottom point of the couch. I don't know. Just didn't seem like it was a very smart idea. But he continuously reassured me, I know what I'm doing. I know how to use a chainsaw. Which I trusted that he did. This was probably just more the dad in me. Like, I hated watching my kids run down the sidewalk in flip-flops because I just thought, you know, the flip-flop was going to fold under itself. They were going to just scrape or stub a toe, maybe rip a toenail off. I just always seemed like it was going to end in disaster. Never did, but felt that way. So all of this starts, and I'm I'm standing a pretty decent distance away. I don't know what's in this couch, what's going to fly away. Are there steel brackets that's going to cause the couch to seize? or do anything. So I was being a little bit of a puss, but Brandon was in fact very handy with the chainsaw and very successful at cutting them in half. And after getting all the way through every side of the first couch, Brandon just stands up and yells, half couch, which would then turn into me saying for the rest of the evening, hashtag half couch. And I even posted pictures online using the hashtag half couch. Also, I will say a lot of dark brown stuffing from the couch came out that looked almost like hair and I started referring to that as Chewbacca Muff. Also prompting the hashtag Chewbacca Muff. So now we've got four total halves between the two couches that now need to be carried this long distance to the bonfire. Brandon just went beast mode and picked one of these halves up, had it on his back, and just started carrying it all by himself. And again, just a half a couch. These were still really heavy. Chris and I, trying to be nice guests but not really wanting to go beast mode, we each grabbed the couch cushions between the two of us and followed Brandon. And to be fair, you know, this was not my idea. I did not know this was going to happen. And I did not show up to the party with the expectation of leaving with a hernia or a prolapsed anus. After the first trip, Brandon went and grabbed another half couch by himself. Chris and I tag teamed a half couch. And in the time it took us to get our half couch to the bonfire area, Brandon had already retrieved the final half couch piece and carried that by himself. So he took three of the half couches to the bonfire by himself. So now dusk is starting to set in and Brandon starts the bonfire, which was already loaded with like a ton of brush and sticks. I mean, probably like seven, eight feet high. There was a box spring from a mattress on top of that pile. And then the half couches would be added later after the fire was going. Half couch. So as he's lighting the fire and it's really taking hold, Chris, Amanda, and I were on their back deck. So we're a decent distance away from the fire. But I will tell you that the fire reached amazing heights. I mean... Uh, Maybe I'm not a good judge of height from that distance, but maybe 30 plus feet at least for the height of the fire with just black smoke pouring out. So eventually Brandon starts tossing the half couches on. And again, we're just kind of watching from a distance. However, these half couches, half couch upholstery was made out of pleather. So as they start to burn, a lot of the material is kind of coming off in fragments. And these half melted swaths of pleather are flying on the thermals of the fire way up into the air and then starting to float around. God knows where they're going to land. This would cause me to create two more hashtags for the night. Hashtag the EPA versus the Garlings and hashtag Johnstown Carcinogens because the area in which Brandon and Rachel live is a place called Johnstown, Ohio. 
So the first two half couches were successfully chucked onto the fire, on top of the fire, stayed on top of the fire, and burned. Granted, littering the air with just burning, molten, melted pieces of pleather. The third half couch uh, did not stay up on the fire as intended and kind of rolled back down and landed, I don't know, five, six feet away from the main bonfire, but now it's on fire. I kind of have my back to the bonfire at this point, and I hear Amanda, who's sitting across from me, go, oh, side fire, which now created, that's right, hashtag side fire, because now you've got this giant bonfire still burning and this half couch, half couch that is just sitting off by itself, still burning, hashtag side fire. I will say that, you know, in between burning the half couches, Brandon also continued to burn the Chewbacca muff that he had carried back to the bonfire area after cleaning up the front yard. So if Brandon, Chris, Rachel, Amanda, and I all end up on ventilators in the near future, it probably has something to do with the burnt Chewbacca muff that we all inhaled. Hashtag Johnstown carcinogens. In the end, the bonfire was complete and successful. And then, you know, a new fire was built like normal people in a fire pit that we all sat around, which this was the time that Brandon commented about how Dash is going to essentially get a lot of puss when he's slightly older. One thing that I thought was funny was later, as it was getting dark, Brandon just kind of mused to himself with a sense of satisfaction that due to the side fire, burning a, I don't know, seven, eight foot diameter part of his grass completely away, that that was going to save him a little bit of mowing. So, way to see the bright side, Brandon. I will say that I am someone who loves the smell of, like, campfire smoke. I don't even mind it on my clothes. In fact, sometimes I may actually purposely kind of waft and walk through the fire just so my clothes carry that stank for a little bit longer after I'm no longer around the fire. But it always seems like when you walk into the smoke, it, like, it attaches to you. It's so weird. Like, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been sitting around like a campfire or a fire pit and the smoke is just coming directly at you so you get up you move your chair a few feet to the right so you're no longer in the direct path of the smoke and the smoke follows you immediately now you're directly in the line of smoke again it's almost like nowhere can you go around the fire where it is not going to follow you it's a very weird phenomenon I've always been a pyro pretty much you know ever since I was a little kid if anyone listened to my Mother's Day special you would have heard me talking with my mom about getting grounded for attempting to set fire to a wooded area on the outskirts of our neighborhood in Cincinnati at the time. I always used to love like matchbooks. I just like campfire. I love the smell of a burnt match. I would love taking matchbooks or a box of matches, lighting the entire thing on fire and getting that five second joy as the whole thing goes up and then immediately burns out. Very short lived. Speaking of matches, I remember, you know, this kind of just goes to show you the difference between parenting today and back then. One of the jokes my dad used to like to make, granted I didn't let him make the same joke with me more than once, I hope not, but he would say, hey, did you know a match can burn twice? And you'd be like, oh, really? And he would light a match, there's once, blow it out, and immediately touch your skin, like typically like on your arm with the recently blown out match, which was still very hot. And then you'd be like, there's the second burn, or whatever he would say. So, yeah, not cool, dad. Not cool. Another 
pyro incident in my youth, I will say that there might be a chance that me and my friend in high school were potentially responsible for setting the interior of a car on fire. So we were driving around in my neighborhood, I mean super discreet, in broad daylight, and we had leftover fireworks that might have been, you know, shortly after the 4th of July. These were just, you know, standard poppers, nothing major. And we would, you know, maybe drive, and if we saw someone walking a dog, we'd light it, throw it out the window, and laugh as, you know, it scared them. (laughs) And then we would drive away. Well, near the entrance to my neighborhood, someone had parked their car on the street and left their driver's side window open. At which point, we pulled up to that car, lit a pack of fireworks, threw it inside the driver window of that car, and then drove away laughing. We did a lap around the neighborhood and then kind of drove back toward the area to see if anything had happened, and there was smoke pouring out of the driver's side window of the car. So, yeah, may have committed a little bit of arson on that one. Another incident, I remember this was back when I lived in Cincinnati, probably would have been about 12 years old. My friend Scott Freilich, we were in his garage. Perhaps I've talked about this or maybe some of these other stories on previous episodes, but they're relevant to this particular topic. But we were in Scott's garage and we were messing around with, it's like one of these little scraper things that welders will use that it's like got a little metal aluminum, I guess, almost like a teeny tiny little cup, almost like what a tea candle would be held in. And then it's got these two little metal bars that go up inside and you squeeze it and it scrapes and creates a spark. And being the little fire bug that I was, we took a rag and we soaked it in either lighter fluid or gasoline or something. And we're holding this thing over the scraper and I'm squeezing, squeezing, trying to get this thing to light, which eventually it did. But because I'm an idiot and I'm holding the rag over the scraper, the fire just ignites and immediately goes up toward my hand, which freaked me out. So I threw the rag away from me just out of self-defense where it landed in the corner of the garage right at the base of two very nice lacquered wooden skis that belonged to Scott's dad, who was not home at the time. Of course, we were not prepared to put out a fire right away, so it took us a moment to do that and pretty sure those skis were relatively damaged. My bad. Another incident that I may have discussed, but in my neighborhood, once we moved to Columbus, I went out in one of my friend's backyards in my neighborhood. Again, wasn't the smartest criminal or arsonist. And in giant letters, I mean, I'm talking like 10 foot plus letters with lighter fluid, I wrote my name in the backyard and lit it on fire. Speaking of not being a very smart arsonist, you know, there's evidence of who did it when my friend's parents got home was pretty much written in the yard. So yeah, not too bright. I definitely still love fire, but I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a fire bug, and I have a much better respect for it now that I'm older. And one good reason to have a healthy respect for fire is because it, you know, can be man-made and very often is man-made, but it doesn't have to be. It is a natural element. You know, you've got lightning, excessive heat and dryness. Think about volcanoes and lava. I mean, that's essentially like a liquid form of fire, and the lava does cause a lot of fires, leaving fire in its wake. As a matter of fact, I will tell you that out of the eight biggest natural disasters in documented history, three of them, 38% of them, have been due to wildfire or volcanic eruption. So fire from a natural perspective ain't no joke. So let's talk specifically about the topic pyromania itself. Let me give you a definition of what pyromania 
pyromania is. It is, and I quote, an impulse control disorder that is characterized by being unable to resist starting fires. People with pyromania know that setting fires is harmful, but setting fires is the only way they can relieve their built-up tension, anxiety, or arousal. Who in the hell is so horny that they're like, man, I either gotta jerk off or burn down a building. Also, I will say that Pyromania is a very popular album by Def Leppard in 1983. And that album featured the song that would be the title of the Broadway hit Rock of Ages. And there were plenty of references on that album to fire or burning. Now, I will say that I was a little more partial to the 1987 album by Def Leppard, Hysteria. But Pyromania is good. So let's talk about some famous pyromaniacs in history. First one we'll discuss is a gentleman named John Orr, and he was a former fire captain and arson investigator for Glendale Fire Department in Southern California. Seems kind of like a juxtaposition. Apparently, he set a lot of fires in the 80s and early 90s and was eventually discovered because he left a fingerprint on an incendiary device. The guitar sound is incendiary. In incendiary. Way to go. Well, hey, hey man. man, don't stop there. Yeah, I'm incendiary too, man. If you don't know what an incendiary device is, it's basically a device that's whole purpose is to start a fire or maybe even an explosion, but in this case, starting fires. But John Orr would be linked later to a 1984 fire that killed four people. And oddly enough, when investigating that 1984 fire, all of the arson investigators agreed that it was an electrical fire, except for one person who incendiary that it was arson, and that person was the arson investigator by the name John Orr. It's almost like he was trying to get caught, or perhaps he was just so proud of what he did that he refused to let it be considered an electrical fire. He was eventually convicted of three counts of arson and was sentenced to life in prison. Our next pyromaniac, Julio Gonzalez. In 1990, Julio Gonzalez was thrown out of Happy Land Nightclub. Ooh, that sounds fun. But the Happy Land Nightclub in the Bronx after he got into a fight with his girlfriend and his girlfriend worked at the Happy Land Nightclub. So Julio Gonzalez leaves, then he comes back later, drunk, pours gasoline along the club's only stairway, lights it on fire, and then subsequently kills 87 people. Now, most of the victims were actually trampled or died of smoke inhalation, not actually getting burned. Here Here's the odd thing that in the website that I found this information in, like I said, 87 people died in the fire. However, he was charged with 174 counts of murder, not sure how that math adds up, and was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. First off, I don't understand how a sentence can be so vague. Well, it's either 25 years or it's life. We'll see. We'll figure it out later. Maybe if he dies 24 years in, it won't be relevant. But 
if John Orr was sentenced to life in prison for three counts of arson, why wouldn't Julio Gonzalez be sentenced to life when being charged for 174 counts of murder, even though only 87 people died? Bad math, but still, I don't know, kind of seems like a life sentence to me. Another pyromaniac, Raymond Lee Euler. So back to incendiary devices, he used incendiary devices to start fires in 2006, and these were known as the 2006 Esperanza wildfire. This fire destroyed 40,000 acres across the Santa, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Jacinto, 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 I don't know, mountains, and five firefighters were killed in the fire. Eventually, Raymond Lee Euler was arrested for the Esperanza fires, as well as two other wildfires in 2006. He was convicted of five counts of murder, 20 counts of arson, 17 counts of using an incendiary device. He was sentenced to the death penalty. Now, of course, when you kill a firefighter or a policeman, the punishment is a little bit harsher. Gonna be honest, that seems kind of fucked up. If you kill a human being, I don't understand why it matters what their occupation was at the time of killing them. You should receive a consistent sentence. But that's just my thing. What do I know? So those were pyromaniacs, you know, people who essentially couldn't help themselves. Perhaps John Orr just didn't really have a lot of privacy or an opportunity to choke the chicken and he needed to get those sexual frustrations out with incendiary devices. So the last thing I'd like to talk about will be accidents that caused catastrophic fires. These weren't pyromaniacs. These weren't people intending to do harm. Just shit went awry, but it also creates the reason to have a healthy respect for fire or anything that may cause a fire. So first, let's talk about a lady named Terry Barton. And she was a U.S. Forest Service worker and in 2002 received a letter from her estranged husband and decided to burn that piece of shit. Not the husband, the letter. But unfortunately, this caused a massive wildfire and it burned 138,000 acres of land outside of Denver and destroyed more than 100 homes. Investigators actually found remnants of burn matches and a letter mailed to Barton, which I find it very odd that at the source of the fire, where it all started, there was still evidence of those matches and they could tell that the letter was actually to her. But Barton was the one who actually called the fire in initially. Now, maybe she did that from an official stance, being a U.S. Forest Service worker, but she did eventually admit to starting that fire. She was sentenced to six years in prison and a $14.6 million fine. My guess, nobody really got their money out of that $14.6 million. It seems so stupid to sentence someone to prison for a long period of time and give them such a hefty fine because uh, they're not really making a lot of money in prison. Not sure how you're going to get your money back. The next horrific accident would be the Great Chicago Fire. Now, this fire lasted for three days from October 8th to October 10th in 1871. There were 300 deaths. It is presumed that the cause of ignition was just basically from a lantern. Just, you know, something went wrong. And back then, almost all of the buildings and the shingles on the roofs were made of wood, so shit just went up fast. 
and clearly burned for a long time. Approximately nine square miles of Chicago were destroyed. And let me tell you that at the time, you know, this is 1871, firefighters and the technology they had to put out a fire was very different than what we have now. And back then, Chicago's fire department only had 17 horse-drawn steam pumpers. So these would be large kettles that they would use to, the steam would pressurize the water and allow them to shoot it on a fire. And they only had 185 firefighters in the entire city. Also, oopsie daisy, the firefighters were initially sent to the wrong location. That's a shame. When you have so few firefighters, so few steam pumpers, so few horses, (laughs) and they all went to the wrong place, and now these slow-moving sons of bitches have to get themselves to the right place. The next one I will discuss is called the Deepwater Horizon Fire. Some of you may remember this. It was a fire that burned, oh, I don't know, for a little bit, from April 20th to September 19th of 2010. That's a five-month fire. That's a long fire, Jeff. So this was off the coast of Louisiana on the Gulf of Mexico. And what happened was is there was a oil well or, you know, where they would normally pump oil from, and they had capped it off with concrete. But apparently pressure was building inside of this oil well, which eventually caused the well to expand and explode. There were 11 human deaths and over 65,000 marine animals that died from this disaster. Additionally, during the five-month period, they averaged that they were leaking approximately 66,000 barrels of unrefined oil into the Gulf every single day, which is probably what you remember as seeing, you know, all the pictures of the little duckies covered in black oil being cleaned off with Dawn dish detergent. But yeah. Yeah, a five-month fire. Five months. It's a long time. And finally, let's talk about the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire. Now, I know, weird name for a fire. So this happened in Manhattan, New York back in 1911 on March 25th. It was at a clothing factory, essentially, called the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. So as you can imagine, this factory was filled with a bunch of cloth, scraps, things that, you know, might burn a little bit. So this factory occupied the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors of a building called the Ash Building. Building. At least I think that's how it's pronounced. I didn't look it up. A-S-C-H. But let's go ahead and call it the Ash Building because that sounds really fitting. Oh. And it was presumed that this fire was caused by a cigarette butt in the factory that had not been fully extinguished. And of course, again, surrounded by a metric shit ton of flammable cloth. There were 146 deaths in this fire. Of those deaths, 123 of them were women or girls age 14 to 23. When the fire ignited, the workers all rushed to the exits to try and escape, but the stairways and the elevators were closed. That's a shame. This caused many of them to just jump from these 8th, ninth, or 10th story windows, only to die by falling on the concrete below. You know, we saw that during 9-11 with people jumping out of the World Trade Center buildings. I mean, they knew when they jumped that there was no way they're not going to fly, even if there's the world's largest tramp or pillow waiting for them on the ground, it's not going to turn out well. But it's just that panic and that natural instinct to not want to be burned alive. 
Also, when firefighters finally put the fire out and were able to access the building, they actually found a six-foot-high pile of bodies jammed up against one of the stairway doors, where people had just gone, tried to get out, just climbing over each other, and at that point, the fire had probably spread, so now they were stuck there. Man, that's gotta suck. I will tell you that the Ash Building still stands today in Manhattan, but it is now known as the Brown Building. That's right, the Brown Building. It is called the Brown Building because it is now naturally colored brown due to the residue from the fire. That's fucked up. So just, you know, be careful with fire. Maybe if you're chainsawing a couch, half couch, don't wear flip-flops. Luckily, Brandon still has all of his piggies, but the entire time that he was doing it, I was terrified that I was about to witness something horrible. Also, if at any time you feel so sexually frustrated that you need to go set something on fire, take a deep breath, drive to Kroger or your local grocery store, buy a box of tissues and a bottle of Jergens. If for some reason the store is out of both items, then by all means set fire to the store. I'm kidding. I would not condone that. All right, that's all I have to discuss about Pyromania. As always, you can follow me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Jeff Becomes Jeff, or you can find out more about my original music, my Etsy store, etc. at my website, jeffshafer.com, J-E-F-S-H-A-F-F-E-R.com. Thank you for continuing to tune in to the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. Until next time, I'm Jeff. I'm Jeff. Good night. Went to the devil and I prayed. And I showed him the mess that I've made. And I cried and I cried and I cried a million times over But the devil just laughed in my face I went to the God of fire And said can you turn the heat a little higher Cause I've been burned and I've been burned a million times over But he just covered me with water So I went to the Lord
don't really wanna be your friend I've been tried and I've cried and I'm done crying And then I laughed in his face And then I saw the guy fire He said you don't need to keep me alive Cause I've been burned so many times I'm like lava Covered him with water From the lady of the sea I told her you don't need to rescue me No more, no more Cause the roads and the woods have been winding But now I know Where I'm going Couch.